Corey Hybe, Chris Harrington, and Aaron Courtney, three broads, bringing you stories and strategies exploring manufacturing topics that challenge the status quo while laying the foundations for future success. Together with special guests, they'll celebrate what's working and unpack what is not so you can learn, grow, and succeed. You want to learn more about your hosts? Make sure to listen to episode one. Chris, how are you? Hi, Aaron. I'm good. Good. Missing Miss Lori, you know, she's gallivanting. Can we say that? Is it okay to say say she's gallivanting? Because she is so gallivanting and I'm so happy for her. I can't wait to hear her stories when she gets back from her trip. I hope she's gallivanting in excess. Yes, so much gallivanting. Hey, so you know what? I'm sorry that Lori's not here today because I've been I'm I'm having some emotions about you guys mm. and how much I appreciate you. I'm oh. I'm yeah, I'm I might get a little choked up, but there's oh. a lot of dysfunction in the world and a lot of challenging things going on in interpersonal relationships at a global scale. And when I think about you, Chris and Lori, and what we've built together on this podcast. I'm, I, it's just a shining light for me. And I just wanted to share that. Oh, you know what? You just made my day. And so much more than that. I think I have shared, you know, publicly and in private with all of my friends when I gather around that this is so special to me. And I'm so happy that I was able to uh, say yes to something like this and just collaborate with you two beautiful women and uh, get an opportunity to talk to all of the interesting guests and explore the things that we're exploring and, and be in a safe place. And I'm so happy that you just shared that with me. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. And you know, what's fun. We all have a good time and then our guests are always amazing. And today we continue that tradition. It will be unbroken. So today with us, we have Amy Franco. Welcome, Amy. Welcome, Amy. Oh, thank you so much, Aaron, Chris. We are going to have to carry on without Lori today, but it is great to be here with both of you. And I actually was introduced to the two of you through Lori. So she, she's our connecting point. Yeah, yeah, yeah as, as she is for for so many people in so many relationships, <laughs> she is that keystone in, in any network. So yeah. let me let me tell folks a little bit about you, Amy. You are the leader in modern sales strategy, and you help mid market organizations to grow sales results through sales strategy, advisory, and skill development programs. Fantastic! I can't wait for this conversation. <laughs> Your book, The Modern Seller, is an Amazon bestseller. You have a very fun story about that later. I can't wait for you to share that. And you're recognized by LinkedIn as top sales voice, which is a very big deal. Welcome, Amy Franco. We're so happy to have you here today. It is wonderful to be here. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. And yes, I do have a pretty fun, unique, once-in-a-lifetime story about the book when when the timing's right to get into that conversation. Yeah, so hey, that's just our way of keeping you here, listener. It's like a little foreshadowing. <laughs> that's right. that's Don't go right. anywhere because you're not going to hear it. That's ha-ha. right. Yeah, that is not above us, too. That's uh, our hook, and we're going to use it. I that's love right. the tease. I love the tease. <laughs> well, Amy, let's just let's dive right in. In yeah. the ever-evolving ever manufacturing industry, how important is business development for companies and what role does it play in their growth and, you know, in their sustainability? 
probably on a scale of one to 10, I'd give it an 11 or 12 Hello. Um, to, to kind of <laughs> just open, open up the conversation and maybe a, a little, a little extra tidbit about me that's very relevant to the manufacturing space is that I got my start in manufacturing and tech in sales. So I worked for um, IBM, I worked for Lenovo, and I worked for a couple of business partners for the first 10 years of my career. And I was a quota carrying salesperson and had all roles that were related to sales and essentially like out, outbound client experience, if you will. And so, so sales has been a part of my, my blood, my DNA for my entire career. And probably before that, if we're, if we're being, being, we're looking, looking into my uh, childhood and high school and college years, but <laughs> it is absolutely, it's so critical. And it's, if I were to pick on a few things, kind of a few threads on that for anybody who's listening, that if you're an individual professional, or maybe you're leading a team, maybe you're a CEO is looking at the structures of sales. So for example, your sales processes, your customer relationship management structures, the sales methodology that you use, which is, has a skill combination along with it. And then also what is the skills data that you have at your fingertips so, so that you really understand the strengths and opportunities for your team. So, so those are, those are a few threads that when I'm working with my clients, regardless of industry, those are some structural pieces that we always look at with sales or business development. Yeah, I, I'm curious when, uh, and I love that you just laid it out like that because it really separates it and makes it clear the different categories uh, that you know we can kind of think about as we bulk it into these high level and then and then go deeper. When you maybe just to build on the sales processes, so when I always think that this is an interesting aspect for companies to dive into because we often think about processes for everything else. But then I've found that in many organizations, the sales process is left undocumented. Can you just oh, talk about that a little bit? Good question. Oh, Chris, yeah. you just like, you're like in my head. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, just, just I it. love it. Um, yeah. You know, it's, and I work, I, another vertical that I spend a good amount of time in is professional services. And mm -hmm. I think manufacturing and professional services have a lot of commonality in what you just said. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of rigor and a lot of regulation perhaps around products, services, solutions, but mm -hmm. that same level of rigor, I, I hesitate to use the word regulation, but the same level of rigor, discipline, structure when it comes to sales, it's often kind of left to chance. Like either somebody's good at sales or they're not. They make up their own process on the fly because we don't have one, that type of thing. So if we took some of that discipline and applied it to sales process, sales methodology, organizations that put that focus in will get further faster because they have that structure to support their teams. Yeah. I think that's such an important takeaway for people here because I think sometimes we... We believe if we bring an experienced salesperson in, they're just naturally going to know how to do things. And, and, and we leave it up to chance. It does open it up for risk, right? And Absolutely. And, and if it's helpful for those listening, I kind of give a little differentiation between process and methodology. Mm -hmm. Kind of along the, the visual lines here, if you kind of consider your process, think of it like a staircase. It's those steps that you take that are, they're often linear. You might have to backtrack a couple of times and jump ahead, backtrack, but there's a, there's a set of steps that you mm -hmm. typically will follow to get from 
finding an opportunity to closing an opportunity. And it's pretty predictable. 80% of your opportunities will follow a very similar, if not identical process. Methodology is, I think of that like the chess match. Methodology mm-hmm. are the, it's like all the chess pieces on the board. You pick and choose from the pieces that make the most sense to help you get ahead. The strategies, strategies, skills, relationships, uh, behaviors, all those things that you can choose from that don't necessarily have a linear path, but modern sellers have the acumen to sort out what they need to move something forward. Yeah. Oh, such a good differentiation. I I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be, but I still want to ask it, which one's more important? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm, I'm, I kind of sit in the methodology camp for myself. It's what I spend a lot of time with organizations on because there are so many combinations to it. The shadow side of that though, is that if you have methodology, but you don't have some of the underlying structures like a sales process or a CRM tool to Mm -hmm. be your centralized place, it's hard to make the methodology successful. Um, so I'm in the methodology camp because that's kind of my passion, but the other two pieces have such importance so that you could make it all work together. I like it. Makes like perfect it. sense. And, yeah. And I, I really like the staircase visual because I, I think that is just so helpful. So I'm repeating it just so our listeners got it a second time. <laughs> I am curious because, you know, we're hosted by three broads in this show, you know, what are the unique challenges and opportunities that women in manufacturing sales may face compared to their male counterparts. Yeah. I I have a really, I I think what I think is like a unique story or a unique situation from my own sales life. And the, the thing is, is that I would love to see more of it. So I think this might be the challenge when I worked at IBM, there was a point in my career. So I was, I was on the sales team. My first second and third line leaders were all women. Mm-hmm. And this was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. This is 20 years ago. When I share that story with people, they're like, wow, really? Like they like that's not um common. And you know, probably at IBM it might have been a little more common than in other organizations, but generally speaking, in the manufacturing sector and in a lot of sectors, that is not the case. What I learned from that was it was really great to be surrounded by female leaders because I could see myself in those types of roles if I wanted to be in them in the future. But I was also surrounded by some really awesome rock star saleswomen who kind of took me under their wing when I was younger in my career. They would take me on calls with them. They would let me shadow them. And so I learned a lot from those Mm. highly successful women. So if I kind of flip that on the challenge side of things, the challenge side of things is that those examples don't happen enough and seeing more women get into those types of roles, stay in those roles, and then bring more women along with them. Yeah. Yeah. That does sound really unique that you had so much female leadership. And I'm curious, did it, it was... Were you able to observe any sort of difference between their approach and maybe a more traditional male focused or, you know, represented sales team? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really uh, interesting question. So I would say, yes, generally speaking, there was probably more emphasis on the, I'd say the relational side of things. 
more emphasis, whether this was intended or not, on more diversity balance on the team, because we had a pretty 50-50 split between, you know, I'd say men and women on our sales team. So I would say that those are a couple of things mm-hmm. that that rise rise to my awareness as I sort of reflect back on that experience. And I would also say it was the, in addition to the relational side of things, watching them be really wicked smart at business. So it wasn't only the relational things, but the business acumen and that piece of it can't be, can't be understood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which fits really nicely with the, the methodology approach that you were talking about earlier, sort of understanding where all the little pieces fit together and how they build up a whole. That's Yep. A string. Masterful at the chess match, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So <laughs> I love, I, I've got a great question for you because it is something that I have struggled with. And I know that any of our listeners who've been involved in sales have struggled with that, that long sale, long and yes. complicated yes. sales process, you know, that's often you can read a lot of books and go to a lot of classes and that you the unique when you're talking about those big dollars and those complicated products what then tell us right yeah. it, it's the difference between the case study in your college class and actually having to live it and yeah. work through it and, <laughs> and, and have all the people around you continually asking about where it's at and what do you need and what's uh, going to close yeah. so, right. yes yes <laughs> yeah, yeah right so it's uh, just a couple of little, like one maybe data point for for our listeners to consider, which is probably something they all live. And the more complicated the opportunity, this is going to sound very common sense, the more complicated the opportunity, the more people that are involved in it, whether they are involved from your company or they are involved from the client's company, or if there are other third parties involved, like business partners or integration partners, whatever they happen to be, because it's, it's like those whale type of opportunities that have a lot of huge priority. And a lot of those types of deals can take anywhere from 12 months to 24 months, sometimes even longer if they're even more complicated. And so as I was thinking about this and pondering what I would share, there's probably a couple things I would focus my time and attention on, which is the first is what are the top most important relationships that I need to make sure that I have. Because typically it's our comfort zone to have relationships with maybe people who are of influence, but not necessarily people who are of authority, Mm. like the highest level decision makers or the people that have a direct say-so over the budget expenditure and finding budget and making sure it's prioritized. And so a little analysis of the relationships Mm -hmm. that we have can go a long way. The other two things that I I would offer up is I put it in the category of momentum. Like, how do you accelerate these? Sometimes, sometimes the acceleration is out of our control because there isn't priorities can shift. Things change. Something happens out in the industry, right? But I'm always asking myself, what's the next step to move it along? What's the immediate next step? What are like my three next steps, like what's out on the horizon and kind of balancing out what's right in front of me versus what's down the road. So I I like to try to think in that way so that I can keep things moving along as much as I can 
and relying on my relationships and the people that are advocating for me that want to, they, they want us to work together and seeing what I can learn from them in order to move something along. Excellent. Yeah. I really, I really like that. And the influence versus authority and, you know, and being honest with yourself about which, which one it is, because one can often be more comfortable than the other. And so Mm -hmm. you've got to push yourself a little bit. Absolutely. And they're both really important, but to your exact point, Erin, a lot of us spend time in the influence category and not enough time in the authority category for sure. Yeah. I, I'm hearing that loud and clear. I, I've, you know, asking yourself the next step and then also the three next steps too. That's really interesting. I'm curious, and this is going to be a little bit more tactical, but to go deeper is how do you, how do you make sure you're not missing those next step is it, for you in a, in a, a real tactical way, is that, that you're teaching teams to use their CRM system to document those and create tasks that will bring them up uh, to ensure that those next steps don't go get missed? Or c- could you just make that a little bit more practical even? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I work on this with clients all the time. And I have one client who has a little sticky note on her screen. <laughs> and it says, have I scheduled the next meeting? Mm. Oh, yeah, and and so, so that, that is her little reminder to say, let's not leave this conversation without the next one scheduled. Mm-hmm. So that that's a very tactical thing someone can do. The CRM hundred percent like sales process. This is where you can lean on your sales process. Have, is this opportunity fully qualified? Have we vetted it? Is it, has it achieved certain milestones that tell us it's a good opportunity? Am, am I putting the tasks into CRM? So your CRM if it has really good data in it and you're using it consistently, yes, you can set those tasks and kind of forget them, if you will, because you don't have to try to remember them in your head. Right. They're in the CRM. So, so those are some very, very tactical ways. I also, a lot of people get focused on closing the sale, right? That's when I'm, when I'm working with teams, there probably isn't a leader that I talk to that doesn't say, I need my team to be better closers. Typically what happens though, when we kind of pull back and look at the data and you look at opportunities, there's a couple of common threads that I think would be helpful for any sales professional or sales leader to consider. First is when you have a problem closing opportunities, typically that's a symptom of some problems that are further up in the pipeline. If they're getting stuck, we're losing them. You know, how many, how many of us have been told we've lost something on price, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. analyze further up because the chances are good. There's something that was missed along the way earlier in your sales process. And then when you can pinpoint what those things are, you can either remediate them to try to help move it along. Or if the opportunity isn't valid anymore, you can just use it for the next time. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Very, very helpful because I think often that question, you know, to you, as far as, you know, we're always trying to close more and we we can't close. I think it's just something that it doesn't matter the size of the organization. We're all struggling with it and, and we can relate, you know, with some of those really big deals, a couple of my clients that are in like that manufacturing distribution space, and they're going after those really, really big, complicated deals. Sometimes the question you have to ask, depending on the size of your organization what happens if we win? Do we have the wherewithal to service it, to provide the product, 
Do we have the financial wherewithal to manage inventory, to manage cash? So some of that business acumen, mm -hmm. that business acumen and that analysis mm -hmm. of what if we do win it? Are we in a position, are we in a position to execute on it so that we put our best foot forward and we maintain our reputation in the marketplace or grow yeah. it? Yeah. And I actually think if you ask that question as a team in a team environment and you talk through what would happen if the deal closes, when the deal closes, then you're going to, you'll be enlightened with information that you can take back into the sales process. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, and, and it might even lead to having a conversation with the prospect that even makes them more comfortable because now you've talked about it as an organization. So you're bringing it naturally into that sales conversation and they're feeling, they're feeling better as well. So, yes. And that is, that is such a great descriptor, a great example of someone who is a like a, a competent sales professional. They're really that they play that role of the trusted advisor because they're bringing those things to their customer or their prospect. And they're not fearful of doing it because these are important business conversations to have. So you level up that trust. And those are some of maybe the intangibles, if you will, that can move something forward because you're bringing the right behaviors forward that build trust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just a win-win a all around when, when you can feel confident in your transparency and, you know, it's great for everybody. We all sleep better at night when we're able to do that. So I, I know that Chris's team is able to do that because it's are awesome. So, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I always find it interesting. And I, and Amy, you, please feel free to like, just reflect on this bit. You know, I worked in manufacturing for, for a mining company, a mining manufacturer for miners. Um, we sold very large equipment, $25 million uh, pieces of equipment. The sales cycle was very long. You had to have all of the regulatory approvals before you even could start a mine. And then if it was an existing mine, just the budgeting process alone to get new equipment, because we were just one piece of an entire process. Today, I lead a technology company. We sell to manufacturers and, you know, our solution year one is about a quarter of a million dollars, but it's still you know, eight stakeholders that we're selling to, it's still a long sales cycle. It's still a change for the buyer, right? You know, any comments just on that about that process and how we all face, it is interesting how it can be for large amounts of money or even a smaller amount of money. It's it's still, I, I, I'm sharing this story because I know people are stuck in between those two spaces as, as audiences listening. And, but we still have to have that process. We've got to have the staircase. We've got to stay committed. We've got to, you know, just curious if you could comment on that. Yeah. Isn't that so interesting how like, it doesn't matter sometimes how many zeros are on the end of the number it still can be a long sell cycle for different reasons. And um, probably the common thread and all that, because I've experienced that too, like working at IBM and Lenovo, you're pretty consistently working on, you know, you could be working on a $5 million deal or a $10 million deal or something even larger. Mm -hmm. It could be a hundred million dollars. In my world today as a consultant, you know, it's probably more along the lines of what you just described, Chris, but the decision-making process and what buyers need to work their way through still has a lot of similarities. And 
when you're looking at the $25 million piece of equipment, there's probably already an established comfort level, at least with the, that level of investment. With technology, there's probably maybe a different threshold, or at least for the customers that, you know, your situation that you're, you're explaining. And my, when, as I reflect on that, it all comes down to how do we help our buyers and the people that are in their ears, the people that influence them, how do we give them the right level of confidence that A, this is the right solution for them, that we understand where they are today and where they want to go, and B, that we are the right fit to work together. Mm-hmm. And I like to use the phrase right fit because I think it's a two-way street. And this goes to like qualifying opportunities. There will be opportunities that aren't the right fit for you as the provider, not just for the customer. And making sure that we're looking at that fit from from both sides of the equation. So it's that right decision to move forward and who's the right fit to do it with. Every buyer goes through that regardless of what the price Mm -hmm. tag is on on the thing or the solution. Yeah, you got it. Mm -hmm. Great Mm -hmm. advice. Thank wow. You. Just like you predicted, Chris, we could, we could do a lot of this. <laughs> We're looking forward to your insights and, and I know there's even more to grab, which tells us yes. that maybe it's time to learn more about you. <laughs> Can we have the big reveal? Is everybody feeling like now's the time for you to tell us something that maybe not a lot of people know about you and it might have something to do with certain book. All right. So we, we teed this up as something super exciting. So I hope this does not disappoint our listeners, but I think no, it's a pretty fun story. It's great. Yeah. So, so three years ago, right before, so I published the book in 2018, like late 2018, three years ago, early 2020, before the pandemic, my husband and I, and two friends, we took a trip to Kenya and we did a, we did a safari. And we went to four different places, three um, wildlife conservancies, and then we went to the coast. It was one of those kind of like trip of a lifetime opportunities. It was amazing. So I didn't know this. uh, It's probably a good thing I didn't know this. But once you get to Kenya, you're pretty much flying on bush planes to get everywhere. (laughs) And the bush plane is like the size of my office, right? So, you know, it's like eight people on a bush plane. And so we're, so there's a nice little regional airport that we go through and they really kind of treat you like royalty. They walk you through, there's a, there's a concierge who or porter that helps you walk to your, walk to your gate, help you get checked in. It's just, you know, he's reading the manifest and he's looking, there's like eight people on this manifest. He's looking and reading the manifest and he's looking at the, at the names and he's looking at me and he's looking at the names and he's looking at me. And he's like, are you Amy Franco, the author? Wow. Oh, the author. Wow. Right? <laughs> and he was the nicest guy. He was probably like in his early twenties. He went to, he was going to business school and that this was his like job while he was going through school. Uh-huh. And you know, my reaction is I immediately look at all my friends and my husband. I'm like, all right, which one of you put him up to this? Oh, oh you, didn't right? you didn't believe yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, no, totally yeah. did not believe it. Right. So I'm, I, they're like, we didn't say anything. I'm like, I don't believe you guys, but okay. So I'm just having an, his name is Kelvin and I'm having this conversation with Kelvin and he's asking me about the book and he's so genuine and earnest and I'm, I'm totally not believing him. Right. (laughs) And he's like, well, how do I get the book? And I said, well, I said, best place to do is to get it off of Amazon. And, and he's like, well, it's in Amazon, you know, in Kenya, 
in some of those parts of the world, not as reliable as it is here. But so, so we have this little banter back and forth and then, you know, we get on the plane and we go on our way. Three days later, we come back through the same airport and who's greeting us at the gate, but my, my friend Calvin. Oh, Calvin. And yes, he's, he's my friend and he welcomes us back and he's like, Miss Franco, I really want to get your book. How do I get your book? And he's naming a couple of other like sales authors. My husband is in sales who would probably recognize some of these people, but the other two people I was traveling with, they would not recognize these people. And I'm like, you're really serious, aren't you? I said, you're not kidding. And he's like, that's what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> so, so I said, I said, all right. I said, I'm said, I, I believe you. I'm sold. I said, so let's take a photo. I'm going to take a photo of your badge. And I will find a way to get you the book. Oh, so so we go about the rest of our trip, and you know I get home, and it took me about three weeks to get the book, and I had to send it through the U.S. Postal Service because that that was really the only option. And when I asked for a tracking number to get to Nairobi, the guy behind the counter just laughed at me. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> nice no tracking try, numbers lady. to Kenya. <laughs> like, okay, well, I'm just going to have faith that this thing gets here because I had to research the airline that he worked for and kind of sort out where to send it. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, I'm sending this in, out to the universe. We'll hope it gets to him. And probably about a month later, I got the nicest letter you could imagine Aww. from Kelvin with photos of him with the book just the kindest letter thanking me for sending the book and everything that he's learned and some of the things that he's doing in business school. Oh, and wonderful. A nonprofit that he and his brother founded. And oh. um, it was just, just a really cool lesson. And you literally just never know whose paths you're going to cross with and who's going to who's going to like see what you do in your work and be inspired by it. And it's just, it's my favorite story, like number one favorite story about the book. Wow. Well, that, that's, that's my number one favorite story that I've heard today. Yeah. That is such (laughs) a great story. (laughs) What a proud moment. I know. And and one of the, one of the women I was traveling with, she's like, you need to give your marketing director a raise. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think, I think I do. just had such a great great time with you today and I want to make sure that other people can have Kelvin's experience and find you and drink from the font of your wisdom so can you tell folks how they can get in touch with you today absolutely the two best places to find me first of all on my LinkedIn profile I'm Amy Franco when you connect with me please let me know that you uh, connected with me with me on this podcast I would love to meet you there and then secondly, you're welcome to go out to my website. It's um, amyfranco.com. It's uh, Franco with a K and lots of great resources out there and also some some chapters from the book. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Yes. And that closes, our, that closes our session for today. Check out Amy Franco. Find her on LinkedIn. Follow her for some wisdom. And uh, we'll be back again next time. Thank you, Amy. It was wonderful. Thank you, Beth. This wraps up today's broadcast. If you're looking to shake up the status quo at your organization or just want to connect with these broads, visit mfgbroadcast.com. Contact Lori Hybe for your strategic digital marketing initiatives. Contact Chris Harrington for OEM and aftermarket digital solutions. And contact Aaron Courtney for web-based solutions for your complex business problems. 
we've got a great offer specifically for our listeners. You can find more information about the offers and your hosts at mfgbroadcasts.com.